is Will Halk with KNBC and the Roots Rednecks and Radicals, and I'm on the line with singer-songwriter Jerry Joseph. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Will. Awesome. So your new album is called The Beautiful Madness, and uh, it was produced by Drive-By Truckers frontman Patterson Hood. Can you tell us a little bit about how you connected with him to make this album? Well, our history goes back kind of a ways. I, <laughs> I can't remember. I, I must have been in Athens, Georgia or something in the late 90s, whenever Pizza Deliverance came out. Mm-hmm. And we became kind of friends and then it's funny because I was down there because of the widespread panic and both both of those bands I I I brought on tour um for both of their first western tours you know or, or west of the Mississippi so mm-hmm. Colorado to the west coast um and the trekkers came out and they kind of opened a really long tour for us and in the middle of that tour they started blowing up. Like, I think as often happens to me, the opening band gets a major label deal, you know, like the <laughs> third day of the tour or something. And, um, we did some, I guess, whatever constitutes legendary new year's shows in, in Portland and stayed friends. And then I didn't see him for a long time. And he moved to Portland, Oregon, where I live. Mm-hmm. And we both have, uh, we have kids around the same age and, and we both um, coming home from tour doesn't really that it doesn't mean you don't wake up at six the next morning and deal with the kids, you know? Right, right. So we we both had these sort of like, you know, young families and everything and we started meeting for lunch a lot. Um we're both affectionados and enemies fa. And um in all of that we started talking and um, I'd always wanted him to produce a record and and apparently he wanted to produce it, but we sort of did a like dating or something kind of dance. And then uh, <laughs> we decided we'd move forward. And, and it's been quite the process. It's finally out, you know? Right, right. So um, he, he told me that you, you had quite a few songs ready for the, um, for the album and that um, you guys kind of went back and forth, kind of pruning them down. Um, uh, what was, what was, from your perspective, what was the process like of, of picking the songs that you wanted on the album? Well, normally I have this thing where I write titles, like song titles. And then when I have a moment to start writing songs, I, I tend to write in clusters. I, I, if I died tomorrow, there wouldn't be, there's not reels and reels and tapes and tapes of half finished songs or half written things. I, I tend to write it, finish it. Often my band learns it the next night at the sound check and, and um or if I have a record I sit down and I usually write the bulk of the record. In this case I had three of those. Um one was at a friend's in Sonoma County, California. The other one was at my brother's place down in Baja, um, in uh, El Susal, um, Baja, California. And in South Africa, um in Pringle Bay, South Africa, and I I kind of had a lot of material, you know, 30 songs, 35 songs. Um, when I decided, or when we decided to do this record, I, 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 I've really tried to learn to be produced over the years. I'm, I'm not well known, but I have, you know, 30, 35 records. And I've been fortunate enough to play with a bunch of great, I mean, to record with a bunch of great producers. And I've learning how to like take direction has never really been my forte. 
Um, so with, with Patterson, I really try to let it go, you know, and, 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 and adhere to his vision and he had a vision. So started going through the songs and some of that stuff like Mexico, I was actually writing the song and send it to him. My, my process is that I tend to write the lyrics and notes on my phone. And then I film myself playing the thing on my little camera. And that's as close as I get to like demos. I've never been a home studio guy or a garage band guy or ever. So I'd, I finished the song, I sent it to him and, and that's, that's hard because, you know, person on the other end goes, eh, you know, or, or the things that he really liked that I was surprised, you know? Um, and I really, it was really about trusting Patterson and trusting that his intentions for me were, were super righteous. He was like, you know, you've been this like America's great unknown songwriter for 25 years now, you know, like let's, let's try to flip the switch and on the unknown part. And, um, and he's also got his own name on it. So he, he wants to make sure it's as excellent of a product as, as possible. So send him the songs, we kind of weed them down. And then when we got to what we were, you know, the, the working list, uh, we got to Mississippi where his band all came to meet us. And, um, they would sit in front of me like school kids and say, tell us the story. And I tell the story of the song and then we play the demo and then we go in there and cut it. It was, it was, it was remarkable. Um, like it, the, the, the way that, you know, the, it was remarkable for me. Cause it's like, once the, once the material was established, the work ethic of those guys was just, it was crazy, you know, and we were in, and and that's how yeah that's how we did it. But with Patterson, you know, he's also a he's also picky, you know. So I'd sing something that I think was great, and he'd be like, "No, no, no, man, you haven't got it." Or or with like that song Eureka, I was making the words up as we were playing, and we got down. I go, "Okay, well, let's do a pass with you know with with lyrics and write lyrics." She's like, "No, we're keeping that one." So all of that. It was just off the top of my head. Um, kind of a strange process. But he's, you know, the guy's got vision. I think, you know, there's other records he's produced, Dexatines or Betty Levette or whatever. I think it's the same way. He knows, he knows what he's hoping to hear on the other side. Right, right. Yeah, the, um, the song uh, Sugar Smacks, I think, is, is really incredible and um i i, I like the, the video that was made for it as well and um, just the kind of stream of consciousness thing that it has going um i'd really like to hear more about that song how it was written and, and um kind of w- what your headspace was like when you were now there's a killing outside next to the beautiful gay boys in the vegan raw cheesecake the kurdish rocker in the grand bazaar next to the blue mosque is selling camel bone crab beats under the alias of a dead member of the New York Dolls. The Stiff Boys. Come on, Dee Dee. Can I get an amen for Giant Thunder? Can I get an amen for David Bowie? Can I get an amen for Joe Strummer? Oh God, if they could only see us now. And our sugar smash. 
Well, I was sitting in Mexico. It's funny, I just saw my brother this morning. I almost went down today. Had I not had this interview, I would have actually gone down to Mexico. Um, the uh, El Susal is this town north of Ensenada. It's a heavy cartel controlled, but it's there's this younger this younger um, group who who mostly make methamphetamine and fentanyl. And the cartels have been trying to shut them down. Um, the, the younger manufacturer guys, are, their response is like, you know, we've been living in the dirt for five generations. Like, and now we're making millions of dollars. We're not shutting down. So there's a low-intensity war going on there. You can sit on my brother's porch and watch the tracers in the body. So, um, so I had this whole weird thing where I had to have a gun on the table while I was writing and um, I was kind of weird anyways, and I had this sort of a riff, and I just started ranting into my phone. Um, the only idea that I knew I wanted to address was I was going to start with the ugliest thing about myself, which is the, ask me about the time I threw you down the stairs, right. which is true. And people are like, you can't put that in a song. I'm like, yeah, I can. It was... 30 years ago and it's super ugly and it sucks. And once I put that, then it's, then it's no holds barred for everything else I want to say, you know? Um, so I figured I'd do that. I'd start with the worst thing about me. And then, um, you know, I bet that whole thing took about 10 minutes, you know, me just like off the top of my head ranting, you know? Um, and I sent the tape to, to Patterson and, and he's like, we're keeping this thing in its entirety exactly as it is. Um, and there was a bunch of things in there that were kind of controversial for me. I mean, you know, the, the people in my life that work with jam band world, I mean, I'm, I'm basically eviscerating the jam bands and their, you know, covers of the weight or whatever. And, right, right. um, but all of the location stuff was also everything in that was somewhere I'd been, you know? So you, so when my wife said, you can't talk about the Himalayan monks watching digital porn, I'm like, yeah, I can. I have I've sat there with them, you know, and in, in 19,000 feet and uh, off Mount Everest. And um, so that was the only, that was the kind of weird thing about it. I know that as I'm getting older, um, it's really important that whatever I'm saying is true, you know? And we were talking today about, I went down to see this, my, my fifth grade crush, you know, who happened to marry my neighbor and hadn't seen these guys in, in years. And we were talking about, you know, you tell stories or whatever, if you embellish now on, 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 on social media, and this was her word, you get audited, right? Somebody's out there that was there. Right. And it's really taken away the ability to like embellish a story or make something up because even the craziest thing that I could come up with, there was some human was there, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so that was the thing we were writing sugar smack. So it was like, whatever I'm saying here, it needs to be, needs to be true. It needs to be personal. Um, you know, we were with the, we were, we, we were, we were, we were with, we were, we were buying beads in Istanbul and, and the kid, you know, was, what's your name? He's like, Johnny Thunders. 
And what? He goes, it was a Kurd, and yeah. Erdogan was prosecuting the Kurds, and like he still is, and right. that was his alias. You know, so it's like, it's a funny thing, because when I listen to it, I mean, it's hard for me to go back and listen to my own music, but the, it was the same idea with, with making the video. There's some stock footage. I don't even know if it's stock footage. It's just... There might be some stuff that the that the filmmaker guy had taken, but almost all of that is is me. And you know, I'd wanted to put locations, you know, so it was like Afghanistan, Brazil, Iraq, Lebanon, blah blah, you know, Hong mm-hmm. Kong, Cambodia. Um, but it would have got really busy mm-hmm. visually. But it was almost like a way, you know, it was almost like bragging, you know, like well, I've actually been all these places and wrote this song and. Um, and, and that's how we ended up with this thing. It's, it's funny cause it's, I don't think it makes a big, you know, there's no way you know that I'm actually in all those places as I'm talking, you know? Right. It, it, it is such a, such a, a, like a strange beatnik, like prose versus poetry kind of deal. And, uh, it, it's funny you brought up the jam band deal. Cause I, I sent it to a friend of mine last week. I'm like, you gotta watch this video, man. This thing's mind blowing. And, uh, he sends it back. He's like, He's like, oh my god! He brought up the jam band thing about the washboards and and all that, and he's just like, yeah, that is that is brutal. That was his his response to it. <laughs> it was brutal. It was so brutal. I, I just remember we were playing this show, and that band with the washboard woman was playing in front of us, and they and they they encored, and they're like, for our encore, we're gonna do a Lakota Sioux medicine song. Won't you join us and and it was like this big Oregon country fair, kind of super crazy Ken Kesey hippie fair. Uh-huh. There's like hundreds of people singing, the, chanting the Lakota Sioux Medicine song. And my friend's standing next to me. He's like, what are we going to play? I'm like, street fighting, man. Like, <laughs> I think we actually learned it, like standing backstage, you know? <laughs> um, so it doesn't do much to to dial back the Jerry's a part of my life. But um <laughs> Yeah, we just, you know, we just, it was funny because Patterson wanted to keep every word, you know? Right. No, I, I think it works. I think it, I think it's an incredible song. So, that, Thank you so much. That's cool. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Dead Confederate. Um, now, I'm, I've been listening to it and reading the lyrics, trying to think about it. It, it. From what I can ascertain, it's it's from a statue's perspective. Am I wrong in that? No, you're exactly okay, right. Okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure. So I was listening to it, thinking about just, I mean, I don't think I've, I, I, I can't compare it to any other song I've heard. Just this, what's incredible to me about it is that it, you take the perspective of something that's abhorrent and you humanize it, and but then also you're 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 bringing it down at the same time. And I, I, I just, I just want to hear you talk about that song a little bit. It really blew me away. Swallowing my granite pride. They haul me out to gravel pits The folk that I lived and died Smash me up to chips and bits And buying, selling humans Was good work if you could get it Well, the South could build great pyramids Or rise up if you let it But they shine their light 
unrighteousness upon my unclaimed darkest deeds, pulling up my withered roots, poisoning my righteous seed. Jesus was a white man, and he promised we could rule. So we burn his holy cross in honor, hang the Negro and the fool, and baby, I will rise again out on Highway 29. In the meantime, I join the earth about my wicked sands of time, and hey now, baby, I'm a dead confederate. It's, uh, you know, it's funny because somebody, and I don't usually get press like this, but somebody just put me in this big article about Kendrick Lamar and Randy Newman. I, I think the Kendrick Lamar block or the barrier or whatever, and mm. and he just shoots his friend or the, or, or, um, Randy Newman had, you know, and then we're going to hang all the N word, you know, um, where they're taking characters. And I don't, rarely do I write, do I, do, do I write from the point of view of a character? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm way too self-absorbed, right? It's me, 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 me all the time. <laughs> um, I was in the South. I was playing with a bunch of friends, kind of dignitaries of the Southern thing. It was right when it was super firing up about tearing down those statues. I find that even in my quote-unquote liberal Southern friends, every so often you'll hear this, well, Civil War wasn't about slavery. It was about Northern industrial aggression against agrarian culture. Yeah, but, right? right? And I spent a long time. I had a, a history, American history um, professor friend. I actually spent a lot of time on the subject. And I think if you get to the end of the subject, it was all about buying and selling humans. And so we were doing this tour. And I wrote that song again really quickly. You know, I'd had the idea for the chorus. And I was at a friend's place, and I went out on his porch to smoke a cigarette and type lyrics. And, and, and I came in, and my friend's like, I go, how about this? He's like, did you just write that right this second? And I'm like, yeah, like when the stuff flows. So we get, my wife hates it, right? Because she thinks that, that you have empathy for the statue. <laughs> My argument is that if you're going to be a character, be the character. Right. And right. and the statue's not going to go, I'm a dumbass racist douchebag. Right. Tear me down. That's not the song. The statue's going to sing. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Or I, there's another one on this record, weirdly, that um, I'm in love with Hiram Black, where I'm a, I'm a young girl betrothed to a Mormon outlaw. And I don't write those kind of songs a lot. I think out of my... 300 working originals there's maybe 10 where i take a character huh. um or it's a guy like robbie robertson was always writing from a character's perspective you know right. um and then time goes along and we record this and the record starts to get out i live in portland oregon um covid hits and the black lives matter protests start start ramping up um by the time they sent the feds, and I was down there every night, and and get our asses kicked by pepper spray and tear gas and concussion grenades, and, and there was this, there was a lot of uh, 
trepidation for a moment about the song, right? Because because you could take it, you know, when I play it for the Southern audiences, I make a pretty big point to stand there. Like, you know, you tell me your great-grandfather died in a ditch in Annie M fighting for the rebel cause. I'm here to tell you I could give a flying, you know what I mean? Like, right. screw him and screw his cause, right. you know? <laughs> and people get really mad. Then all the other Southern musicians try to like hide behind kick drums and bass amp because they're, they're waiting for this hail of bullets. But no matter what I say, you get to the chorus the second time, and half of those Republican white ball cap frat racist guys, all they hear is that chorus. So they're up there like, I ain't sorry, I ain't regretting. Our big fear was that the song would come out. Mm. And somebody will take one of the lines, like the South could, the South could build great pyramids and rise up if you let it. Like just take that line out and put it on a T-shirt. Right, right. You know, so I, I tended to feel like we should just put it out, let the chips fall where they may. Um, but like we don't have a video for it. We were starting this video, and it was getting complicated. We were like, okay, so we'll put a picture of the statue, and then we'll picture put. Uh, uh, a hate crime that happened near the statue, and you can pretty much do that with any damn rebel statue in America. Um, but then it was like, are we exploiting victims? Are we, are, we, are we exploiting black pain? Then the next idea was, okay, we'll do the statue, and then we'll go to the killers, right? And we'll put all these like racist, you know, proud boy guys. Well, then are you giving them a platform? It like... Right. It got so deep with what the hell we were going to do that it sort of never got made. And I, I would like to go on record that I, I was for using all of it. Um, but uh, people, were getting, people were getting worried. And then it was like right in the middle of all this stuff, right? So then, you know, in England, where, where my records come out in the U.K., and a little bit important, they, they're starting to tear all these other statues down. Mm. Um, in, in England, they're tearing Muhammad Gandhi. The guy was a stone-cold racist, you know. Um, I forget. There's a couple of different characters. Um, in Portland, they tore down Thomas Jefferson. He was a slave owner. And I got pretty schooled because I said, I said, well, if you took down every statue that the guy had some kind of racist belief, Teddy Roosevelt, whatever, 95% of the statues would be torn down. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy that I like, I follow him called Bo of the Fifth. And he's a, he does like a video blog thing, super articulate. Yeah, Southern, I know that guy, yeah. Southern, I think the guy's, I watch him like every night. I haven't even seen the third season of uh, Handmaid's Tale. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, and he says the same thing. He goes, people say we tore down every statue with some kind of racist background that 95 percent of the statues would come down he, he looks at the camera and goes what does that say about systemic racism in america where 95 percent of your statues have some kind of racist history right like tear them down don't tear them down but at least be aware that that's the culture that we live in you know sure. and and you know we could argue all day to pull down mount rushmore which should probably be pulled down because it's all these treaty violations and all this other stuff but the you know, people were getting super touchy, and, and rightfully so. And then in our world, you know, the Fed, you know, if they did it by design, it was pretty smart. You know, the Feds arrived, 
and the narrative shifts from Black Lives Matter to federal occupation of our city, mm-hmm. right? And so it was this amazing moment. Now, you know, they tried to come up with a with a balance so we'd all march in the Black Lives Matter march and then we get done like everybody to the line, drive the feds out. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I thought and I and I thought some of the Black Lives Matter stuff, some of the narrative was getting lost. And so it's just to have all this. Like I, I use the word trepidation. I don't mean it lightly. Like people were really kind of like, "What are you gonna do with this song?" Because you know anybody with a remote amount of intelligence normally would hear the line, um, "Jesus was a white man. He promised we could rule, so we burn his holy cross and honor hang the Negro and the fool." Mm-hmm. Most people would go, "Jerry's an anti-Confederate guy," mm-hmm. but not everybody, right? Right, and. And it was kind of weird. I'm, and I'm sort of connected to Southern music for a bunch of reasons, you know, whether it was Once for Panic, I've written a bunch of their songs or whatever. You know, so I, I have this following down there. And, and frankly, you know, you, I'm in favor of giving them the benefit of the doubt and hope that the smart listener figures it out. The Randy Newman doesn't say that. And that song Rednecks because he believes it or Kendrick Lamar really shot his friend over whatever he shoots him over in the, in the thing. Um, you know, I have another song which you could hear really easy. I think on Spotify called 10 killer fairies. And I wrote that in Mexico when the cartels wiped out the, our neighbors, huh. 23 people shot them all in the, in the courtyard. Yeah. And I do it from this woman's point of view. Who's, you know, knows she's going to die. And I've actually done that song right there live hmm. um, with an interpreter and knowing that the guys in the audience are part of, you know, Felix Brothers Cartel or whatever, Northern Baja. And they didn't shoot me, you know, right. but it's, it's like when you do those characters, it's a, it's a touchy thing. Cause if you're going to do it well, like, like be the character, it's like writing a, writing a character in a book or for a film. I mean, you want it to be believable. And so the Confederate statue, that's, that's what he's singing about. He's proud of himself and he's proud of his cause. And he doesn't realize that buying and selling humans might actually have a downside, you know? Right. Um, and as we're barreling into whatever we're barreling into right now, you know, I'm, I'm down in San Diego to see my mom. I hadn't seen her since March and, you know, my friends were like, why now? I go, because the next couple of months have the potential to be the heaviest couple of months in American history, at least since the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And whenever we're getting on planes a month and a half from now, we get to 300,000 COVID deaths and an administration that refuses to step down. So it's, it's like crazy times. Right, right. Um, so all of this music is... Well, my record is just kind of weird. I, I thought I was writing a record about marriage and what it's like to be married 10 years in, you know? Um, that's what was really interesting to me at the time. I, I, by design, I didn't have these, these political lightning rod songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just kind of not feigning ignorance, but I just, I, I, I just, I, I was always worried about my, what my wife was going to think of bone towers, you know, more than, huh. more than what Southern liberals were going to think of dead Confederate. 
I was talking to my wife about Dead Confederate, and, and um, she said, um, I'm, I'm glad that the statue didn't back down because he wouldn't have. Um, and, and I thought that was a great insight because it was this, like the statue is also kind of a metaphor for ideas and um, the Jim Crow South and the lost cause and all that. And those ideas most certainly didn't back down in, in their in their prime. And um, I thought that I, I, I can see why you have some trepidation about it. But I also think that it's that's what makes it a beautiful piece of art because it's 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 very true to the form and, it, and it's kind of unrelenting in that. And, you know, thank, thank your wife for me because that the statue wouldn't have backed down. And I'm actually reading this book right now. Uh, um, Heather Cox Richardson. She's a she's a, uh, a historical political writer. Her and Boa the Fifth. The two things I read every day. And she kind of gives this uh, sort of a rundown of what happened today in politics. And she's always got pretty interesting connections to history or when we've been to these places. She has a book out called How the South Won the War. And I'm just reading it right now, and it's amazing. It's like, you know, they were defeated, but the idea of the, of the wealthy oligarchs um, being, being destined to rule, you know, those southern plantation owners, they, they felt it was, it was God told them, you know, that they were going to run the country. And they get defeated, so they shift the narrative to the American cowboy and the West. Hmm. And, like, all that thinking ended up going to West. So the new cotton plantation guy is a rancher in Montana, and he doesn't answer to anybody, and, you know, he makes his own money, and he's not on welfare. It's a, I'm only halfway through the book, so I can't tell you how it ends. But I, I think I'm pretty sure how it ends. Right. It's like we're still here, you know? Hmm. And these thoughts are still, you know, we still have, we still have people that think it should be an elite few people that run our country and we're watching the dismantling of, of democracy. And then they're always going to have cabin, I mean, cannon fodder Mm -hmm. and these proud boys and all these guys coming into Portland, they're dumb as a sack of rocks and they're not even that tough. Hmm. You know, they're, they're tough in a group, but I'm a 60-year-old man. I, 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 zero fear from those guys. <laughs> but they're righteous, right? Mm-hmm. They believe in every goddamn word. And that, that's a lot of our country. So you know, not only is the statue not backing down, but the ideas, exactly like you said, exactly like your wife said, the ideas are not backing down. Mm-hmm. You know, we may not be buying and selling humans right now, but I do all this work, you know, with these refugees and those kids that just all got out of slave camps. ISIS, it was like slavery, you know? And so, yeah, the statue never went away. Um, You know, it's it's funny because I'm really against, I'm really against um, censoring art. And the statues have put me in a weird position except that I believe in my heart that it's not art. I think it was put up by Jim Crow era whites to let black people know that they better not be caught outside after dark, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just pure hate. So hopefully that wasn't too lengthy of an answer for you. No, it's great. It's great. It's a complicated song. So it, you know, it takes some, so while to explain. So since you brought up the, um, the, the music foundation that you have, uh, I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about that. It's called Nomad Music Foundation, and you bring uh, instruments to people um, in different parts of the world, war-torn areas. And uh, I'd love if you could just talk about that a little bit. 
Um, how did it come back? It's funny. This was streaming. I really wanted to do this TV show that we'd been talking about for years. Um, a couple of years ago, I had this idea, kind of like an Anthony Bourdain, fly around the world, take some nominal celebrity musician friend, and you know, we're here in Calcutta with Patterson Hood, you know, and like yeah. film all these episodes. And then I went on my second one of these one of these nomad trips, and um, it just seemed not only did it seem like it might be better television if it ever got to that point, but I. Actually, for the first time in my life, felt like I was doing something that just wasn't about me. Um, huh. Even though my wife would say, you know, people are like, "Oh my God, Jerry, you went to Afghanistan because you because you because it means so much for you to bring instruments to the kids." And Terry, my wife's like, "That's not why he went to Afghanistan. He went to Afghanistan so he could sit here at this cocktail party and say that he was in Afghanistan." <laughs> 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 um, I don't take her to cocktail parties anymore. No. Um, the uh, it started. I had grown up. My father was a international, um, pretty renowned scientist in tuna fisheries, and so I traveled quite a bit. Um, and I was in weird places. You know, I was with the Sandinistas in in, in Managua in the eighties, and had been in a few war zones. Um, then we were in Israel. We did these shows in Lebanon, and we went to Israel and had shows. And a uh, air raid siren goes on, and or the missile warning, and the guy goes, "In a million years, Hamas cannot get a rocket into Tel Aviv. In a million years." Whoa! The first one hits, you know. <laughs> um, and we, you know, the promoters like we understand if you want to cancel. I'm like, we don't want to cancel. I think we actually learned life during wartime or something like, you know, um, I played the show and my friends in, uh, a friend of mine in Afghanistan saw that and said that, uh, the Taliban had put a fatwa on aid workers when we caught bin Laden, if you believe that story, which I actually believe it, but, um, the way we caught bin Laden was with a CIA backed, um, polio vaccine initiative, right? So it gave people a, gave them a reason to knock on the door. Mm-hmm. And the Taliban decided, well, all aid workers are probably a, a, a CIA back thing. And maybe, maybe they're right, <laughs> but they were pulling out all the aid workers. And so they know that I'd been in all this stuff and they said, would you still come and, and help us with our underground rock school? And so I said, yeah. And I, did a bunch of fundraising, bought a bunch of instruments and went to Kabul. Um, you know, not at a time when it was chill, you know? Um, and then that, it just started kind of snowball. And then these two American professors in Kurdish Iraq and Northern Iraq saw that. Would you come and work with the kids in these refugee camps? There's, you know, 1.7 million displaced Kurds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we did it the first time. We were in the Arbat camp outside of Sulaimanai. And then this last time, I say we because I have a, a friend partner now, Charlie Freeman. And um, and the second one was in, was in the hook um, in the Chemisco camp. And so, same idea. Raise money, buy instruments, figure out how to get them shipped. Um, not because I necessarily believe that guitars will save the world, but... These kids, you know, I mean, like real slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
the fourth wife of some ISIS fighter and and children put into like subservient slave roles. I mean, these kids are covered with like cigarette burns, you know, from their from their ISIS owners. Not to mention the girls, you know, had all been raped multi, you know, mm-hmm. by multiple men for a couple of years. And I show up with these guitars and bang my head and go, yo, I, I try to teach them how to, one thing is to is like teach them a Bob Marley idea where you go, yo, 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 right? Like mm-hmm. you don't need the language to do that. <laughs> and you know, people talk about the money, you know, like the amount of money that it takes me to get fifty hundred dollar guitars into Iraq. Um, you do a lot of other things. They could hire a crew and a backhoe and put in a swimming pool for that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, in the camp, you know, but I, I tell this story that these last girls, these Yazidi girls, you know, who aren't even supposed to laugh in public. Um, you know, they're looking at the ground. I mean, I, I'm a diversion. If nothing else, I'm just being a diversion for these kids and get them out of rape crisis class, you know, five hours a day. Um, and they're not supposed to laugh in public. So they're really having a hard time you know, going to yo. And finally, through the interpreter, I say, look, I need you to take all the hate and all the fear and all the pain and all the love and all the joy. And I need you to scream it back at me. And so, like, I'm like, she, she does the message and I go, yo, yo. And when these girls came back, you know, yo, yo, at the top of their freaking lungs. I'm like, that's the sound of God. I've been a lot of places in the world. If there's a sound of God, it's those girls singing that, you know? So, so what's it worth? You know, $50,000 to bring guitars that, you know, um, another kid came up the other day and, and showed us his entry acceptance papers for, for Suleiman University as a music major. Hmm. And he's like, you know, I came two years ago so I could get a guitar so I could sell it. And then I hung out with you guys for five days. He goes, now look at this. And he's speaking in perfect English. He goes, I'm being accepted as a music major. And I look at that. And I'm like, I look at Charlie. I go, is that worth 50,000 bucks, man? Because I got think three times people spent that much money sending me to rehab. <laughs> I'm like, and, and this kid is it's worth every dime, I think. Um, you know, it's it's worth every dime. And right before COVID broke, we were supposed to be, we were going to start in Bangladesh. Um, there's a there's an African, I spent some time in Africa. There's a, you know, the, the thing about NMF is it can be malleable, right? If we need good guitars to bring to Accra for the musicians that are the bad, baddest ass in the world don't own their own guitar. Mm-hmm. Or I just met a guy that's bringing ponies to the Lakota res, <laughs> right? And getting young kids re- back in touch with their equestrian history, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, I was like, how much of a pivot to go from guitars to ponies, you know? Yeah. And... And it just ended up being this thing. Well, it's like I, my wife's right. You know, I, I do, you know, I mean, I'm the guy that never really made it, you know, and I'll be sitting in a room full of people when everyone's talking about, you know, well, we sold out the garden, you know, and oh, we did three nights at Red Rocks and, you know, my record's number two. And, you know, they have those kind of friends. And 
And then when they get to me, and they're like, and how are you, Jerry, with this sort of pat on my head? You know, I can be like, I just got back from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. You know, and it helped my own self-esteem, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but I, it, it, it gave me... It made me feel like I was, I was, had accomplished something. Because we made it up, you know, we didn't like, there was no group that did that, that helped us. As a matter of fact, we got a lot of resistance. And because you, you could talk about cultural imperialism all day long, bringing Western guitars to Yazidi children, you know. Um, but I, I, you know, given my druthers between fundamentalists, Salifas, Islam, and cultural imperialism, I'm going with cultural imperialism. <laughs> I'm like, the, the ISIS guys have the fundamentalist thing pretty wired, right? They know exactly what they want to do, and it doesn't give much options, right. especially for the girls. And, and it's, it's just, uh, it's like a tangible, the successes are, are tangible. And, and the only difference, I guess, from all the other musicians that do great works is, is that we go there. Like, our thing is, like, we deliver. And I think it goes, no, actually, we really do deliver. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not shipping guitars over to some place, and you know, I'm, I'm bringing the guitar, I'm handing it to the kid, I'm putting his fingers on the thing, I'm explaining what a guitar is, and then I'm barking Bob Marley chants at him. So they think it's hysterical, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, who is this guy? That, you know, there was one group of them called me the White Monkey. And they're sitting there banging my head and jumping up and down. So I, again, that was a long answer. I I know we're, you know, we're trying to figure out, you can't go into these camps right now with COVID. They're in the ventilator for 500 miles. Um, But I keep getting these people. I do this um, Thursday night at six o'clock, the happy book. It's my weekly stream and, and, I don't know how you define success, but it seems like it's it's going okay. And so I'm starting to get these these different um, these different platform people, you know, that have got their um, you know, if you use our platform, and we can get it to these people, and we can, you know, everybody's got a pitch. And I'm like, you, know, you tell me the one that I can send the cameras and the software to the hook, and these kids can sing back, not in real time. I don't know if they're ever going to get it in real time, mm-hmm. like the tech for the streaming, but at least, at least an easy way to go. Okay. I play two songs with some celebrity concert thing. And then we go, now let's hear from the kids into hook and they can sing whatever they want. you right. And nice. I, I think that, I think these, these new streaming services and streaming platforms and stuff, it's like, we better figure it out. Cause, cause like those kids into hook, I mean, Trump moved aside and, the Turks are bombing them every day. Plus, they got COVID. Hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> They're getting screwed. So, yeah, I guess lastly, is, you know, you make a record and you have no idea if anybody's going to care, if they're ever going to listen to it. And it's helped me to have something else that I'm passionate about. And I think it helps my own children. You know, when they're seven and ten and... I think when my 10 year old realized I was going to like active war zones and he was scared and, and I'm like, I think that lesson of like pick something you believe and do it no matter what the consequences, 
was the lesson that I hope, you know, I, I hope they can carry through their lives, you know? So it's, it's, it's mixed. I mean, you know, I, I keep joking that it helps me as much as it helps the kids. And, um, and there's probably more truth to that than, than I care to really examine, but it, it just all kind of fits, you know, and then this record came out and then it's the political songs that are getting the attention. And, and if I'm going to, if I'm going to spew about politics, it helps that I've been some of the places that I've been. So when I get some guy that's like, you know, I was, I was in country in Afghanistan. You civilians will never know. And I'm like, really? Cause, cause I was at, you know, chicken street, that coffee shop, you know what I mean? Like, um, it, 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 it helps with the political argument, you know, to, to be able to, to at least have something to, uh, to identify with the people that are opposed to what I say. I, Kind of complicated, I guess. But thank yeah. you for asking about it, though. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a cool deal. I like it. I, I I'm a huge fan of stuff like that. So I'm, I appreciate that you do it. Well, man, those are the uh, those are the questions I had for you about the album and everything. Um, if people want to, if people want to know more about you and and all the stuff you're doing, what's the best place to find you online? Easiest place is JerryJoseph.com. Um, and that has all the links to Nomad. It's got my you can link to my show, The Happy Book, at 6 o'clock Pacific time every Thursday. Um, and, yeah, take you down all the Jerry Joseph rabbit holes. And I, I don't know if I would want to go down all those rabbit holes, but <laughs> everything's, everything's available. Right. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you taking the time, especially uh, I feel bad now that you didn't get to see your brother today. But um, I appreciate you. Oh, no, no, it's all right. I'll save him off. Okay. I'm, I'm super glad. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, Say thanks to your wife for the astute comment on the damn song. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. Okay, man. See you. All right. Take care.